Welcome to Weekly Wisdom from Jubilee Circle. We teach the common wisdom of love and unity that is found in all mainstream religions, metaphysical teachings, mysticism, and inspired secular and religious writers and teachers throughout the ages. Our goal is to help you connect with your higher divine self and transform from the inside out so you can become a force for love and transformation in the world. Each week, we bring you wisdom from our founding spiritual director, Reverend Candace Shalou, and other guest speakers. We hope you enjoy this week's words of wisdom. It was my own wonderful mother who taught me to always treat others, especially my elders, with respect. And now I'm becoming an elder. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> right. <laughs> But I learned how early on how to say yes, ma'am, or no, sir, yes, sir, no, ma'am, all that. Please, thank you. I was also taught to say I'm sorry when I messed up, you know, and to take responsibility for my own actions. But, you know, those ideas, they seem a little bit old-fashioned and quaint these days, don't they? <laughs> and this is how I know I'm becoming an elder, because it seems like everybody gets rude, or else it's just me going, get off my lawn. But... <laughs> But it seems that rudeness and disrespect are just the behaviors that we're seeing these days just modeled from the top on down. What has gone awry, in my humble opinion, is that we have forgotten one thing, and that is the inestimable worth of every human being, including ourselves and those we don't like very much at all. There are lots of books out there that tell us how worthy we are, including, of course, in miracles, but we don't believe it because we have this egoing, this egoic, nattering nabob of negativity in the back of our minds that constantly tells us that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, and nobody really likes us very much. So today, we're going to learn to practice the resurrection of worthiness. And we're going to use the TV character Ted Lasso as our model this morning, for all of you Ted Lasso fans. <laughs> But once we can see the world like Ted Lasso does, seeing the worth of everyone and seeing that everyone is worthy of love and honor and support, then all we'll know how to say is, oh yeah. Hear these wise and holy words. From A Course in Miracles, chapter 7. One child of God is the only teacher sufficiently worthy to teach another. One teacher is all in your minds, and that teacher teaches the same lesson to all. God always teaches you the inestimable worth of every child of God, teaching it with an infinite patience born of the infinite love of God for whom the Spirit speaks. Every attack is a call for God's patience because only God's patience can translate attack into blessing. Those who attack do not know they are blessed. They attack because they believe they are deprived. Give, therefore, of your abundance and teach them theirs. Do not share their delusion of scarcity or you will perceive yourself as lacking. And from chapter 20 and A Course in Miracles, it's impossible to overestimate your holy sibling's value. Only the ego does this, but it all means, but all it means is that what it offers the other for itself and therefore values them too little. What is inestimable, inestimable clearly cannot be evaluated. Do you recognize the fear that arises from the meaningless attempt to judge what lies so far beyond your judgment you cannot even see it? Judge not what is invisible to you or you will never see it, but wait in patience for its coming. It will be given to you to see your holy sibling's worth when all you want for them is peace and what you want for them you will receive. And from author Henri Nouwen, take this as a koan. I am the glory of God. 
Make that thought the center of your meditation so that it slowly becomes not only a thought but a living reality. You are the place where God chose to dwell and the spiritual life is nothing more or less than to allow that space to exist where God can dwell, to create the space where God's glory can manifest itself. In your meditation, you can ask yourself, where is the glory of God? If the glory of God is not there, where am I? Where I am, where else can it be? I am late to the party when it comes to watching the Apple TV show Ted Lasso. Beth and I have been so successful in our binging over the past few weeks that we're already up to the most current episode. <laughs> it took a while, but uh, yeah. Well, we're trying to find another binge-worthy show or just stick to our favorite, which is baking shows, <laughs> while we wait for new episodes. And, you know, Beth's on keto, so it's almost like watching, you know, baking shows are like food porn, you know, right? <laughs> it's like, you can't have it, but it's so, it looks so good. So how many people have seen Ted Lasso? How many people are watching Ted Lasso? You're, you're, okay, well, if you're not familiar with the show, it's about a U.S. football coach named Ted Lasso who is hired to coach a British soccer team. And he knows absolutely zero about soccer. And it's revealed in the first few episodes that the owner of the team hired him for that specific reason. Because she wants him to tank the team because she won the team in a divorce and she knows that if she killed off the team, it would be one of the best ways to hurt her ex-husband. So I have read many, many articles that analyze Ted Lasso's character, everything from how he's a paragon of servant leadership to how he serves as a so-called holy fool, which according to the Orthodox Christian tradition is someone who feigns insanity, pretends to be silly, or provokes shock or outrage by their deliberate unruliness. I like this characterization of Ted Lasso because if you ruliness is what makes him such a great role model if we too aspire to become a holy fool. As Tish Harrison Warren writes in a recent New York Times article, the holy fool is a person who flouts social conventions to demonstrate allegiance to God. Holy fools dwell in ordinary secular life, but they approach it with completely different values. Rejecting respectability and embracing humility and love, holy fools are so profoundly out of step with the broader world that they appear to be ridiculous or even insane and often invite ridicule. And yet, she writes, they teach the rest of us how to live. And this jubilance is exactly what A Course in Miracles calls us to be in the world. Holy fools whose only allegiance is to God. And that's guaranteed to put you out of step with the, the broader world. Those of us who are determined to lead with God's love, shining that divine light within us out into the world, we appear to be kind of ridiculous, sometimes even insane. We're often ridiculed as being Pollyanna-ish or practicing some form of toxic positivity. For those of us, though, who may aspire to be that Ted Lasso brand of holy fool, though, we know better. We know that the truly foolish life is the one that's lived in the egoic world of competition and comparison and division and tribalism and, well, of course, egotism. It's all around us. So what does it look like to be a lasso-style holy fool? Well, our reading from A Course in Miracles lays it out pretty clearly. We become holy fools when we listen to the one teacher, that's capitalized, the one and the teacher are capitalized, the one teacher who wants us to learn 
just one thing. The inestimable worth of every child of God. Now, if we're, if we're sort of like the lawyer when Jesus said, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer back there went, well, who's my neighbor? <laughs> so the lawyer in us goes, so, who's the, so, so who's, the, who's the child of God? The inestimable worth of every child of God. So who's our neighbor? Who's the child of God? Well, everybody you see, including the person in the mirror. It also includes everybody you don't see, everybody you think about, everybody you don't think about, everybody you love, everyone you disregard, and maybe especially everyone you hate. We can clearly see how this works in the world if we take a moment to study what's called the lasso way. Simply put, Ted sees the inestimable worth of everyone from his boss, whom he bakes biscuits. That's what the British call cookies. But he bakes biscuits for her every morning for biscuits with the boss. All the way down to the locker room attendant, or what's known as the kit man, who is widely ignored by everyone. Initially, people are not quite sure about how to take Ted's chipper attitude and loving disregard of anyone who finds his nature off-putting. His first press conference, it's pretty brutal as the press grills him about his ignorance of the game that he's out there coaching. Over time, though, Ted begins to win over pretty much everybody by simply persisting in seeing everyone as having inestimable worth. In that persistence, he helped star team members tamp down their own egos and start to collaborate with their team members. He forgave his boss for the manipulative reason for why she hired him and then helped her to actually begin to care more about the team's success than sticking it to her ex-husband. In addition, he eventually discovered a strategy that helped the team begin to win again after being relegated to a lower division during its first season. This is the effectiveness of a holy fool. As we go against the conventions of the egoic world and eschew competition, comparison, and division, we hold space for others to touch their own holy fool. And when they do that, they will be able to tune in to the voice of that one divine teacher that wants to show us how to practice the resurrection of worthiness by only seeing the inestimable worth of everyone we encounter. No matter who Ted Lasso meets, whether they're mean, manipulative, meek, malicious, or merry, he treats them all the same. They always have his full attention. He's always present to them and their needs in that moment. Even when Ted is being personally attacked, he still refuses to attack back, even if his feelings are hurt. We see this dynamic between Ted and the locker room attendant in the first season. Nate Shelley is the kit man, which means he tends to the locker room. He washes all the uniforms and the towels, keeps all the shoes and equipment in top shape. It's a lowly job and one that's barely recognized by anyone, especially those in leadership. And Nate was shocked on his first meeting with Ted that Ted wanted to know his name. He said no one had ever asked him his name before, especially not the coach. But through their relationship, Nate develops this sense of confidence and self-worth. And it turns out Nate is a strategic genius in soccer. And so Ted nurtures this talent and eventually Nate is no longer the kit man. He's made an assistant coach. And this is where ego rears its ugly head. Because Nate 
lets that success and his newfound confidence go right to his head. After one of his strategies resulted in a spectacular win for the team, he was lauded in the press as the wonder kid, and his ego is off to the races. He's checking his social media, and that's just he's just scrolling through how wonderful Nate is, how great he is. In one episode, this has all just puffed his ego up so, so big, he accuses Ted of not appreciating him enough and says some very hurtful things to Ted. And you can see, just on the look on Ted's face, that he's injured by this. But he never says a word. He doesn't argue back. He doesn't retaliate. And eventually, Nate is named as the head coach of a rival team owned by the ex-husband of Ted's boss. Nate's ego has gotten him there. But it becomes obvious that he misses Ted. This is that nurturing leadership style. And he even tries to replicate it with some of his own staff with some fairly dismal results. <laughs> but Nate goes out into the press and he takes these open pot shots against Ted. But Ted understands one of the course's best one-liners. In my defenselessness, my safety lies. Ted refuses to attack Nate. When the press asks what he thinks about Nate, he refuses to say a bad word, publicly or privately. Instead, in one press conference, Ted made a lot of self-deprecating jokes instead of returning attack for Nate's attacks on him. All Ted wants for Nate is for him to be happy and to be at peace with his life. It's what he wants for everyone. As our reading from A Course tells us, this is the key to seeing everyone as being of inestimable worth. It reads, it will be given you to see your holy siblings worth when all you want for them is peace and what you want for them you will receive. Peace is truly what Ted Lasso wants, not just for everyone, but for himself too. And this, I believe, is the true genius of the show because out in the world, you see Ted fulfilling that holy fool role, but when he's alone with himself, though, he acts like most of us do. He doubts his own worth, mainly because he's going through a divorce. He's living halfway around the world from his young son. And in those moments alone, Ted wrestles with his own demons that try to keep him in his egoic littleness. So much so he calls himself a work in progress. <laughs> I think that's something we all should adopt. I'm a work in progress. <laughs> but even in his own pain, Ted still seeks to act in the most loving ways to those around him, though he struggles to love himself just as much. This, I think, is the deepest lesson that Ted Lasso can teach on worth. We tend to look out into the world, and we see some people as good and others as recalcitrant, transigent. And when we see those recalcitrant people, we do what our society and our religions have taught us to do. We see ourselves in them. We think, well, everybody's got a recalcitrant streak, so I must have it too. That's the byproduct of believing in original sin. Original sin teaches us our original unworthiness. And so we think like Ted, the only way to overcome this is to act outwardly good and peaceful as a mask for the unworthiness we feel inside. When we get alone, though, 
the doubts come up. We think the way out is to try to convince ourselves that we're good, that we're the light of the world, and then we can be that in the world. But of course, says that's backwards. If we truly want to see the good in ourselves, to experience our own inherent, inestimable worth, we must first see that in others. The overall principle holds that what we perceive in others is true about ourselves, but we're, true, we're called to shift our perception from seeing others as recalcitrant to seeing them as originally blessed, as innocent, beloved children of God. And when we see only that blessing and innocence in the people we see around us or think about or hear about, then and only then will we begin to believe that we too are of inestimable worth. So what does this look like in practice? Well, Ted Lasso knows it means meeting people where they are, not wishing that they were where you want them to be. It means treating them as worthy of your deepest love and reverence. Again, Walmart can be your cathedral if you so choose. Because it's a great place to go and practice seeing the inestimable worth of everyone by seeing them through the eyes of the holy. Through those eyes, all you see are holy siblings buying toilet paper and bananas and eggs and other items. They're walking around disguised as regular human beings with all their shortcomings and their doubts and their fears and their worldviews. Each one just trying to figure out why they're here and how best to find what we all want. Love. Joy. Peace, security, a sense of purpose for all this. <sighs> you jubilants are here to help them find all of that. And as you help your holy siblings see the light that shines within them, then you will begin to clearly see, feel, and know your own holy light. A course says that what we do for others, we will also receive. We cannot find ourselves by ourselves. We need the help of our holy siblings. And so Ted begins to learn this lesson when his boss brings in a psychologist for the team. And even though he poo-poos it originally, he begins some therapy sessions to start to understand his own demons, which are causing panic attacks. It's interfering with his job. The therapist herself is kind of standoffish to Ted, chalks up his chipper attitude to something he uses to hide his own pain. And in part that's true, but she eventually falls under Ted's charms as well while helping him heal his own pattern of unworthiness. And that's the beauty of this show. It's all about how we all heal when we seek to be and embody that healing, when we seek to be the holy fool of love in the world. Ted Lasso invites us to step out of our penchant for viewing self-help as like this solitary pursuit and instead realize it's only by helping others that we will ever learn how to help ourselves. It's only by seeing the inestimable worth of others that we will ever realize our own inestimable worth. Author and counselor Henri Nouwen offers us a practice, a koan of sorts, to contemplate when we get stuck staring down our own demons. He writes, take this as a koan. I am the glory of God. Make that thought the center of your meditation so that it slowly becomes not only a thought, but a living reality. You are the place where God chose to dwell, he writes, and the spiritual life is nothing more or less 
than to allow that space to exist where God can dwell, to create the space where God's glory can manifest itself. In your meditation, you can ask yourself, where is the glory of God? If the glory of God is not there where I am, where else can it be? And I would modify that just a little bit to make the koan this. You are the glory of God. You are the glory of God, which means I am too. Or if you want an earworm, you can just sing, I'm amazing, incredible. I'm a miracle, a dream come true. I'm marvelous. I'm beautiful. Guess what? So are you. And that doesn't mean we're better than anyone. As Keb Moe reminds us, it simply means we have a responsibility. A responsibility to be amazing. To step into our grandeur as God's holy, worthy, and innocent children. We've seen the grandiosity of the ego at work in our own lives. It convinces us that we're the wonder kid. We can do no wrong. It convinces us to compete, to strive for some fleeting glory in this world when what we truly are is God's glory personified. Jubilance, how would it change the way you lived if you saw the glory of God walking around in every single person you meet, think about, hear about? How would it change the way you lived if seeing that glory of God all around you, you finally realized that's what's in you too. You are the place God has chosen to dwell. And God also dwells within everyone else, no matter what your ego tells you to think about. As Harrison Warren concludes in her New York Times column, this is the gift of Ted Lasso. In a time when our culture is marked by outrage, division, and cynicism, Ted Lasso calls us back to humility. He asks us to lighten up a little, to not take ourselves so seriously. In doing so, he reminds everyone he encounters, including us watching at home, of our shared humanity, and I would add, our shared divinity. We are all, she writes, in the end, not winners or losers, successes or failures, pure heroes or villains, but people who long to be known, loved, and delighted in. Isn't that what we all want? Just to be known, to be loved, to be delighted in. And if you want that, the only way to get it is to give it away. Course in Miracles says, thoughts never leave the mind of the maker. We just extend it. A miracle is us extending that love. And if you want to be known, if you want to be loved, if you want to be delighted in, that's how you treat every person that crosses your mind, that crosses your path. Because when we can embrace our own Ted Lasso and seek to know love and delight in everyone we meet, everyone we think of, that's when the whole world gets to say, oh yeah.
Thank you for joining us for Weekly Wisdom from Jubilee Circle. If you enjoyed the program, we hope that you'll support us by leaving a good review of this podcast wherever you download your shows. We also hope you'll support us in other ways, either by becoming a subscriber to our YouTube channel and our weekly newsletter, or by supporting us financially. You can find out how to do all of that by visiting our website at jubileecircle.com. Many thanks to Audio Coffee from Pixabay for supplying our podcast music. Join us again next week, and until then, take the words of Meister Eckhart with you. If the only prayer you ever say is thank you, that will be enough. We thank you for your time and wish you the kind of week that will leave you saying, oh yeah.